This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast staring at you with motives unknown. Today we're talking about the Halloween film franchise, starting with John Carpenter's 1978 film, through the new one, David Gordon Green's Halloween Ends. I'm Mark Lintemeyer, diagnosed by my mental health provider as pure meh. <laughs> I'm Al Baker, and I shot him six times. I shot him six times. That is very strange, Al. My name is Lawrence Ware, coming to you from Oklahoma City. And I have nothing else to say other than I absolutely hate Halloween ends. <laughs> and our special returning guest. Yeah, and my name is Nathan Shelton from Chicago, Illinois. And I have the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. <laughs> That's nice. a good one, man. So we talked to you, I talked to you with different co-hosts a while ago. Two-ish years ago? Yes. <laughs> There's a lot that's happened in the world since then. But now he's back with better co-hosts and now <laughs> we're ready to go. I had reached out to you last year when Halloween Kills was coming out to say, hey, we should do that. And then right before it was going to be nailed down, like, wait, there's going to be another. But of course, I did not know at that point what the nature of this other was going to be. I still feel like this is a fine time to do this. I was going to let just Halloween go by with no episode referring to it. Lawrence had made some comments about liking scary movies and wanting to do something in this area. And I just found myself like a week and a half ago, waking up extra early one morning and watching on my iPad, Halloween and Halloween two in a row. So mm. I'm like, I got to leverage this to something. And I have gone through the cycles since then of, okay, I'm going to kind of catch up on some things. I'm only going to do, but I'm not going to rewatch anything to, wow, I don't even know if I can get through the rest of this film that I'm watching because I'm yeah. so tired of this Two, I've now rewatched just about everything and watched a bunch of YouTube videos, <laughs> analyzing, listening to some podcasts. So I'm at a fever pitch several days after Halloween now. Just keeps going. Nathan, where have you been with this? About the same. I think you contacted me, yeah, like a, two weeks ago, a week ago, something like that. And I had actually just recently watched the first Halloween with the kids. We usually watch that every year. And I also watched, fairly recently, had watched Halloween 2 myself. And I had, of course, watched the new Halloween movies. I was like, okay, well, I'm already on the the Halloween kick. I can throw back in some of the others that I haven't watched in quite some time and refresh myself. And I don't know if that was a blessing or a curse, but I'm also living and breathing Halloween right now. I have a question. Okay, so you guys keep saying I watched Halloween and Halloween 2. I have no idea what you're talking about. So are you talking about the original Halloween and Halloween 2? Are you talking about the Rob Zombie Halloween and Halloween 2? So which ones are you talking about? Honestly, I have not seen Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 in a mm. while because I can't. I can't do it. I didn't like the first one. And the second one came out when I was working at a movie theater. I was an usher mm. uh, for a long time. And I saw much of that movie. And so I did sit down one time and force myself to watch it. But it was just, I, I can't do it again. And I Man, won't. we're going to fight so much. I absolutely love the Rob Zombie Halloweens and Halloween 2. Although I a do lot of people understand... Do. That a lot of people really hate those movies. It's, it's kind of divisive. I'm in a weird place with Rob Zombie. I respect the man for so many things that he's done for the horror genre. Absolutely. And that, but I'm also really torn because his style, that kind of hillbilly, I don't know what you call his style. Just say torture porn. It's trash fine. horror, torture <laughs> porn kind of thing. It's torture porn. Well, it's filled with like trashy characters. You know, it's like everybody's mm -hmm. not likable. There's not one likable person in any of his movies. You know, it's like everybody's kind of disgusting and depraved and i can't believe how much i disagree with you keep going, keep going. <laughs> i do like some of his movies but the halloween ones i was so excited for them when they mm -hmm. came out and when i watched the first one i was just like wow that was not good and it's partially because i'm sure because of my expectations that i had for it mm -hmm. 
also, I think that he missed the mark with what makes Halloween scary for me, hmm. which is Interesting. Michael Myers. You don't know why. You don't know why he's doing what he's doing. He has no three dimension. He is literally the shape and that's it. And that cold looks like a man, but it's not a man. Is it more? Is it not? That ambiguity is what I think the key to Michael Myers is and where a lot of movies, even someone in the regular franchise gets it wrong. But where that first movie, that original John Carpenter movie, meant to be a standalone movie, never meant to be anything else. That's what they got right. And I think that's what sets it apart from all other movies in the quote slasher genre. Although I will argue that first movie isn't a true slasher. So I think the three of us are up to our eyeballs in this. I want to hear from Al, the relative newbie to this, who I forced down this path. (laughs) I did also ask Sarah Lynn, our other regular, but her lack of experience and her squeamishness about the genre. I don't want to make you suffer through potentially. Really? Right. She, couldn't, she couldn't handle it? I let her off the hook since we had Nathan on the hand. Al, what is your okay. story here? Yeah, so in Sarah's defense, so Halloween is one of those film franchises that I've just never had any experience with. So I watched my first Halloween movies over the course of the last two weeks. Boy, was there a lot of variety in quality over that viewing experience. But like Mark, there was a hump. I didn't get quite as neck deep in it as you did. There was a hump and I pushed through and I did think that the last series rounded off my viewing experience in a really satisfying way. Really, really interested to know, as a a total newcomer, more about what makes Halloween and the Halloween franchise special in the eyes of like diehard horror fans. Because there was an interesting moment when in the early films, I was like, I'm not quite sure why I really get it. And then some of the threads that the later films pulled at helped me understand kind of more special about Halloween in the first place, I think. And I think it has a lot to do with exactly what you were talking about, Nathan, that the exploration of the motiveless evil as a specter of horror film. But because I'm not an expert in anything to do with horror movies, I'm not sure how special that is or in what way that makes Halloween special. Let's start with number one. I realize a lot of people listening to this will not have seen the most recent one, we're going to eventually spoil it, but there's so much to talk about here. Like, there is nothing to spoil in the, in the newest movie. I mean, there is, but there, there really isn't. Like, there's nothing that anyone cares about. But let's go ahead. All right, yeah, so Halloween 1. The original Halloween, the first. I mean, this is why we're having this conversation and why there's such a weird structure to this franchise, because that's the only film that they can rely on people having seen. So mm-hmm. when we keep having these reboots and whatever, it is with the knowledge. I mean, I guess if you're Rob Zombie remaking the first film you're not necessarily assuming people have seen the first film but probably still most of your audience has seen the first film even that certainly all these other ones you know when we get halloween h2o or halloween 2018 because yeah the halloween two through six is sort of an increasingly esoteric crappy in quotes horror fan playground who man you're killing me man it's like they're just churning them out there is some good. There's some bad there. I mean, all right, let's not paint with a broad brush. Let's be very specific <laughs> because, okay, I love Halloween three, but it was them trying to do an anthology thing. And then let's put that to the side. Although we can talk about that if we want to. Halloween four, I have a soft spot, but I do see that it's trash, but I still have a soft spot for it. Halloween five, I have a soft spot for it, but I think that it's trash. Halloween six is terrible. Even the producer's cut. That's the one I saw freshly and I was very prepared for it. I had watched a, I thought it was better than five seeing the producer's cut. I mean, if we're just running through them like that, I do think that the curse of Michael Myers, it starts out 
better than five and definitely four to me. But then it just goes off the rails so much. But it starts out, it's got a higher production value, it seems like. I mean, you do have a really odd Paul Rudd character. He hadn't done much at that time. But he still has a charisma. He's still kind of charismatic. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy's born with charisma. He's Yeah, he he does. But he's doing this weird character, and it seems like in different scenes, he's playing different versions of it. Like, he didn't quite have a grasp. That's probably also direction. But that movie does go completely off the rails. You also, in that one, that's the one that also has the psychotic, even more psychotic version of Dr. Loomis, where he's like, no, that's five, where he's got the girl and he's like luring Michael with her. And it's mm-hmm. just like, where is Dr. Loomis's character gone? It's just gone completely off the rails at that point. But yeah, I think that there's merit to all of them. But those middle ones, it's just like cash grab after cash grab. Most of them seem like they're almost direct to DVD or direct to video titles, you know? But they were so popular. I mean, they, they were so popular in the culture. Now, Halloween H2O, I would argue, is a really, really good film. I think that is a really good one. That's the one when Jamie Lee Curtis comes back. There's Josh Hartnett in there. There's Michelle Williams is in it. Like that is a really, really good film. Yeah. The acting in that is and the production quality. It's through the roof. It's good. It's weird because that's the only one that really doesn't take place much in Haddonfield. It's like Jason goes to Manhattan. It's the one that's like, except it is good. I agree. I think that's good. I think it also has its issues, but compared to everything that had come before it, it is the least problematic and it relies more on character and story than it does the, oh, how is this person going to get killed? Which is where the slasher genre really is. It's like, oh, gruesome killings. That to me is what the slasher genre really is, is that the fans of those movies are really just there to see the gruesome kills. They're looking for body count. They're looking for how the characters are killed. And the more creative, the more fun the movie is for them. They're not you could have whatever story you want as long as there's, you know, fodder for the killer. And I think that movie goes back a little bit closer to what the original was, where it is a character driven story and people get killed. But it's not like, oh, this person gets killed by electrocution with their head exploding or this person gets boiled alive in a, you know, in a hot tub, you know, things like that. So I think that it is definitely a step above the others. I agree with you completely on and then there's Resurrection, which is a very, very bad movie. Although I will say that I really, really appreciated Buster Rhymes acting in that movie. I don't know. I'm not going to say anything more about that. I really appreciated Buster Rhymes acting in that movie. It was way over the top, but I love his acting. Now, hey, Lawrence, yes. trick or treat, motherfucker. <laughs> yes, man. <laughs> That's what I say. Great acting, dog. That is great acting. Now, here's the issue. Here's the issue. If we go all the way back to the beginning, because that's kind of where we need to go. I'm just going to be honest with you, and this is where we're probably going to fight. I prefer Halloween 2 to Halloween 1. This is something we should have an extended because I, they, these are the two types of film that we talked about. The shape, he has no motive. He's just mysterious. He's in the background, you know, just pure mood. And then Halloween 2, which is, as Nathan was saying, this is jumping forward a few years until after Friday the 13th, after these Halloween ripoff movies. And it is a ripoff movie of them. And so it is... Apparently, this was like beefed up during the editing. Let's add more blood spatter. Let's add more. Yes. It's all about the kills. Yeah. And so what we have is Nathan, who is a horror connoisseur. He's much more respectable of a horror fan than I am. And then me showing up and I'm like, let's get to the kills. Like, let's let's dip some naked women in some hot tubs and let's boil them alive. 
And so that's the difference between us. I, I do agree with what you're saying there, too, because I do enjoy I look for things differently in movies. Being in the industry myself uh, as an actor and a writer and a director, there's certain things I look for. But I enjoy boobs, blood and gore and stuff, too. As an effects artist, I'm always <laughs> sitting there going, oh, wow, how did they do that? So I appreciate it, but I don't get into torture porn movies aside from respecting the effects. You know, I'm like, wow, that's great effects, but it affects me too much. And slasher movies, if I'm in the right mood for it, it's a good party movie and it's kind of fun to watch, but I don't respect them as like great films, you know? And so I do respect that viewpoint. I have a lot of friends and I know a lot of people that are out in the world that they love the horror genre and to them that is horror and the other stuff is boring, right? Anything character driven. You know, the witch, the it follows, things like that, that I absolutely love. That's highbrow, boring crap. And, you know, I see people trashing it online all the time. And so I get that point of view. I can respect both of those. But when you're looking at the integrity of what that franchise started out as when it wasn't a franchise to where it went, it's a pretty drastic jump. And aside from making him a lot of money, I know John Carpenter isn't necessarily like, yeah, I'm really glad that this has just gone on this long, you know? I will say, though, I do love The Witch and I do love It Follows, so I'm not necessarily oh, yeah. that bad. But yeah, Al, I have a question, Al. So he's kind of talking about elevated horror. He's talking about, like, It Follows, The Witch kind of stuff, you know, The Conjuring to a degree, Insidious. Like, do you like those kinds of horror movies? Like, are those the things that you like or not really? Yeah, so I think that my relationship with horror movies is basically I really don't enjoy the sensation of being afraid. Really? So if I'm going to watch something that makes me feel that way, I want to feel like there's a real payoff in terms of artistic value from the movie or just that kind of comedy, you know, cheesy B-movie, silly gore, sure. which isn't actually scary. Mm -hmm. So Halloween really walks the line for me because so mm. much of it is really interesting a lot of the more gratuitous score you know i can take it or leave it some of the stuff that affected me the most wasn't particularly gory but there's just a real intensity to the way that michael myers kills people that is deeply unsettling so given that i have that kind of attitude to horror films i don't know if there was enough to all of the movies that i saw to make it worth my time having been made to feel so nauseous by so many stabbing scenes and you didn't even watch the rod zombie ones right I didn't even watch the Rob Zombie. Although I feel like they're, they're going to be more, they're not like camp. No, no. You know, there's early 80s horror, late 70s horror is like Halloween horror in quotes. In other words, it's blood spatter. Like, I feel like I didn't really show my kids movies like that when they were younger, but I felt like I probably could have. It's like. Yeah, you could have. I mean, because I, I showed my son that kind of, well, the one who can take it. I took that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like Monty Python and the Holy Grail the person getting his limbs chopped off. That's just funny. But when somebody's like, you know, that doesn't really make us feel the visceral feeling that we get from someone really being murdered. Yeah. And so we need to make it more realistic. Or in the case of these most recent movies, we need to make the people's reactions more realistic. At the end of Halloween Kills, somebody's boyfriend is getting killed and like kind of slowly and like, well, maybe he's only paralyzed. Oh, no, he's definitely being killed. And she is just <laughs> screaming at the top of her, you know, and this is what you would actually feel like if somebody it's you cared about wonderful. getting killed in front of you. But like, yes, that makes, I don't know. So that is more gripping for me, but not in a comfortable way. Right. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah. you know, there's something nostalgic about the Halloween two, Halloween four kind of murdering. I sort of burned out a little too much on that as a 14 year old really liking 
Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I think that was my first one of these that I rented <laughs> at age, actually at like age 10 or something, you know, cousins and, you know, would rent this kind of thing. I don't remember exactly when, but yes, it was something t- probably a little too early. So being desensitized, I don't have as much nostalgia. Like, I don't want to see a bunch of more horror films from 1979 that I didn't see at the time. Well, you know, I've gone back this Halloween and I checked out some movies that I had never seen. I really love, there's a documentary that's on, if anybody has Shudder, if you're not a horror fan, you probably don't have Shudder, but Shudder's a great app. It's owned by AMC. And they have a documentary series on there called In Search of Darkness. There's two of them. Those each are like four and a half hour documentaries each, just on 80s horror films. And there's a third one coming out. And then they're getting ready to do a night start the 90s. It is like the epitome of what you want in a documentary series on the genre within that decade. It is fantastic. Lots of interviews, lots of insights. It's, it's really great. And they talked about some movies on there that, you know, precursors to these things. And I was like, oh, wow, I need to go back and watch these. Because like, for instance, a lot of people consider Halloween to be the very first slasher movie. And I wouldn't buy that. I think that uh, Black Christmas. Well, Black Christmas was 74. And that's what I was going to say. I actually watched that this Halloween. Bob Clark's Black Christmas. He did that and A Christmas Story. A complete shift from one thing to another. Complete shift. But did he use the same set? So honestly, no, no, he didn't use the same (laughs) sets. Thank God. But but Black Christmas is actually a really good movie filled with amazing acting, quirky little decisions by the director. And that last part of it is very scary. And I was like, you know, it's a completely different level that Halloween is because Halloween was very independent, right? It was a very independent film. And he had a little bit more money with Black Christmas. But even before Black Christmas, some people think, you know, that Psycho, which was 64, that Psycho is the very first slasher movie. I don't really consider that a slasher movie either, necessarily. But prior to that, in 1960, there's a movie, Peeping Tom. Michael Powell. Yeah, that was 1960. And that had the very first, like, kind of first-person viewpoint of a killer. It's such a creepy movie because he's putting the camera lens right in front of, like, a Killing people with a tripod. Yeah, Yeah, he's got a blade affixed to his tripod on his camera so he can record the reaction of the people that he's killing. So he's like stabbing them in the throat with it and stuff. And yeah, it's such it an amazing creepy. performance by their lead actor. It was just a great mm-hmm. movie all around. And Michael Powell got a lot of pushback. Right. Nobody was doing that at the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was really shocking. But I would say that's probably the first. I agree. Proto slasher movie. But then it solidified the genre by the time you got to 80 with the Friday the 13th movie. At that point, without the success of Halloween, we might not have had uh, Friday the 13th. Maybe. I don't know. But because it became this kind of like underground hit everybody was talking about halloween they put money behind this other thing and it became about the kills and that's what that movie is is oh what are the cool ways that you can kill different camp counselors thanks to tom savini you know with all of his different ideas of oh let's push an arrow up through kevin bacon's throat and all this stuff and i think it solidified that genre then but i think there were a lot of things that led up to that first halloween but in that first halloween there's no blood i was going to ask what made halloween take off in the way it did then given that it was so restrained it's not a flawless movie like it has a really good mood and you know there are appealing things about it but like and of course it's, it's filmed in pasadena california you know right? i mean so like it's a true indie movie it has a spirit of indie movie but it does something where it really brings out genuine terror like that movie is more suspenseful i would argue than a like prototypical slasher than your slash that you get in the 1980s one it's very very moody it's very character driven it's very suspenseful the stalker aspect of it Because Myers, you see him throughout 
as in the background, his car, you see him driving, even at times that they don't specifically show you, you know, he's always watching until he starts attacking. And that's something that the later movies kind of forgot about is this stalker aspect. But I think that movie, you know, before that, we were still in the gothic thing. We were, you know, we had these either very occult like either gothic movies or we had these paranormal demonic kinds of things happening, ghosts, hauntings. But to have this deranged serial killer in Haddonfield, Illinois, in the burbs, you know, in a suburban kind of area that is stalking and killing people for seemingly no reason other than he's crazy, possibly evil, says his psychiatrist. And he's stalking people just like you and me. Everybody in there is relatable. It's a small town. These people are normal. They're teasing each other. Nothing like this could happen. And before that, we hadn't really seen that before. You know, it had always been these kind of fantastic elements. And I think that was what was so shocking. It's kind of got this gritty edge to it. Since they shot it in California, they were gathering leaves and they'd put them out all over the ground <laughs> to shoot a scene. Then they'd pick them all back up and take them to another location and put them all. Yeah, because they, <laughs> they didn't have any leaves. That's so cool about it is that it's got that raw feel to it. And the way that they marketed it, it started very small. From what I understand, it, I was reading that it actually played in Kansas City first at a theater in Kansas City and at a, like a midnight show or something. And then it kept doing that. It kept going to like midnight shows and drive-ins. And because of that, the popularity just grew among the teen community, right? And everybody started talking about kind of like what happened with Evil Dead, this underground indie thing that was doing something nobody else had done. People started talking and it just then it became this cultural icon, this cult film. And from that, I think that's how it grew. It's It was kind of like one of those perfect storm of events. I don't think it's just the movie itself. It had to do with the movie, the time that it came out the way that it was made, and the word of mouth and the advertising. Let's talk a little more about the vacuum of meaning that makes the original (laughs) film so appealing is we don't know this person's motives. They're clearly psychosexual. You know, it's like I saw my older sister having sex and this confused me. But you kind of just assume this. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't have sex with the bodies. You know, there's nothing that would indicate you know, I guess moving them around. His parents seemed like they didn't traumatize him in any way, that there's nothing. It's like one day he just snapped. He just snaps and just kind of goes off. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's so scary that when you see him in that first scene after he kills his sister and they take the mask off and you just see the boy standing there like blank faced. He's just a regular boy. Like there's nothing crazy about him. He's just a regular blonde headed kid. And that is shocking and very scary to me. You know, when he comes back, you learn so much about him from a third person, from his doctor. And his doctor makes it seem, you don't know if the doctor's kind of out there, if the doctor's just so scared of him that he's making this stuff up, or if it's true. And the ambiguity of that, I think, is also terrifying. It's like Lovecraft stuff. You know, it's the things that make it scary is that it's not just given to you. There is no real backstory. And therefore, you can't reason with him. You can't try to play on his heartstrings and say, look, Michael, I know that your parents abused you and you grew up in a horrible home and all these kids taunted you. And it's, why are you doing this? Blank. Please stop. Blank. It's just a killing machine. Is he evil? Is he supernatural? In that first movie, you don't know. He might have not been supernatural. The Hannah Arendt version, he's so evil because he's so banal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it gets to wow. that. Wow. Wow, Mark. It gets to the point where he, the books of the Bible, it's like you, you're talking in the New Testament, like in Mark, you know, Jesus is very human. And then you get to John and he's like, oh, you know, and like walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Supernatural. And there's nothing human about him. It's the same thing with Michael Myers. Producers latched on to what they think made that movie a success and then tried to replicate it again and again and again. 
and also with interference from what other slasher films were doing. Oh, people like to see the body count, so let's add that in. Oh, let's have some tie-in to make this sequel make sense. Okay, let's add that in. And then they get into the crazy, like, the thorn tattoo and the the cult that's raising him, and he's got green blood and all Wasn't this like stuff. Wasn't it like a Celtic cult or something like that? Yeah. If we're going to have movie after movie, then either they're going to do exactly the same thing, which is... I guess mostly what Friday the 13th did, <laughs> you know, that there's pretty much there's a formula yeah. here, at least established with Halloween two, And we're just going to do that, but we're going to make it a little crazier every time we're going to, we're going to keep ramping it up or you're going to use this to explore and fill in those gaps. So actually the reason that I got back into this was, I don't know, a few years ago, I think I'd listened to Chris Hardwick's podcast long enough and he was friends with Rob Zombie and is you know, in the house of a thousand corpses and stuff like that. And so that got me, all right, I'm going to watch this initial Halloween film. And that is actually the first half of that film, the prequel that you, Nathan did not like because it's the backstory. I found that the most fascinating kind of compelling thing in Rob Zombie's movie, in in any of these things, I feel like there's just something about that, that caught my interest in a visceral way, in a way that, these more supernatural, whatever. I can't completely explain it, but like, I like the mystery, but I also feel it is entirely natural in these sequels to try to fill the mystery in, whether it is in a psychological way like that or in a bogus metaphysical, apparently that this whole thing about a cult (laughs) behind, you know, why does Jason kill? Because he was bewitched as a child and, you know, more, he's going to pass that evil to other people and they're going to do it. That idea was come up with in the first draft of that script for Halloween six by like, a super fan who wanted to put all these things together. And so I respect that, you know, of course it was a botched job. Right. I mean, it could have been done better. It definitely uh, could have been. Done I think better. there was opening for that in the future. And I also just to throw this in what's being done in the new films. And I think there could even be another film after Halloween ends about the sociological take on it, the infectious right. spirit of the evil that spread throughout Haddonfield And how this, you know, influenced a new person to take, like, if you're going to make more movies, you might as well explore crap like that. Let's stop to talk about another podcast. Whether you're a YouTube addict who falls asleep to the gentle flow of the home screen, a hardcore creator who just quit your job to make content full time, or a digital neophyte who barely knows the difference between YouTube and Snapchat, you'll definitely want to check the Create Unknown podcast for your weekly dose of online creation knowledge. The Create Unknown is a podcast that lives halfway between complex analysis and comedic stupidity as Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor from the popular educational YouTube channel Vsauce2 take you on a weekly journal with some of the most successful online creators to reveal how they started and how they continue to grow. From interviews with Casey Neistat, iJustine, and Psychic Pebbles to deep dives into the complex business models of this digital world, each episode explores the companies behind the money, the dubious online drama, and the always uncertain future of creating online. Part high-level analysis, part hopelessly stupid, join Kevin and Matt as they explore the rise and fall of platforms and forecast which shiny new apps are on the horizon for content creators. Dive into the Create Unknown today and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, and I don't see that that necessarily is the problem. It's usually, to me, it's not the idea that's the problem. The ideas, I mean, anybody can have an idea, and the ideas behind a lot of movies that I don't like are just solid, really cool ideas. But it's the execution that makes me not like the film because I, I'm like, wow, you guys fell so far from what you were trying to do, and it's obvious that you were really going for something and it had legs. It was a cool idea, but 
either money or time or too many cooks in the kitchen or whatever, because, you know, it's a miracle any movie gets freaking made, honestly. But by the end, when it comes out and it didn't land right, you know, the cheese slipped off the bread somewhere. And despite the Rob Zombie movies that I didn't like them, I do respect what he did with them. I respect that he took something in a completely other direction. To me, those movies are not as scary as like Halloween, the first Halloween movie, and they don't impact me as much because he went and gave them a backstory. And I think that missed the point of what, to me, made Michael Myers so scary. But I do see why a lot of people love those movies. And it's the same kind of thing from House of a Thousand Corpses. I actually really enjoy House of a Thousand Corpses up until the last like 20 minutes of the movie when it gets all crazy. And then I'm like, what happened? Because I, I love the whole first part of that movie. But I really love The Devil's Rejects. I thought that was probably my favorite Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe have a whole Rob Zombie episode in the future when he next does something. Yeah. Well, no The Monsters, we could talk about The Monsters. The Monsters. I, I like The Monsters. I like Lord of Salem. But see, here's the thing. So while I respect, I love John Carpenter's like full stop. Like even the questionable movies, Ghost of Mars, you know, like <laughs> yeah. even those ones, I, I respect him. I really, really like him. I like John Carpenter's Vampires. So I respect that first movie and I respect what it was trying to do. Everything about that film. But it is fucking boring, man. Like, that movie oh, bores me to oh, death. That movie is a 70s movie. It feels like a 70s movie. There's a whole bunch of dread. And I get it. I respect it. I know what it's trying to do. I know what it's accomplishing. I get it. I do. And I know that I'm wrong. I, I know that a lot of people are listening no, to me. No, you're not wrong. You're not I, wrong. I mean, I'm, everybody who I talk to says that I'm wrong on this it's, point. It's what scares you. And I feel like we still haven't heard Al on Halloween 1 versus 2. Oh, yeah. There you go. Al doesn't have strong feelings. I can just tell already. Al doesn't have very strong feelings on this. No, no, no. So here's the thing. I don't have a lot of strong feelings about the Halloween film franchise having sat, I think, five, no, six of the films over the last week. I don't have very strong feelings. Wait a minute. You watched six of those films in one week? Jesus Christ, Al. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes. Um, dedication. It's been a hell of a week. Uh, <laughs> That's off to you. I respect you, sir. <laughs> and having done that, I still don't know if I like the Halloween film <laughs> franchise, but but I did come away with a lot of things that I wanted to know about people who do like the Halloween film franchise. So it seems to me like, as a brand new person to the franchise, it seems to me like what made the bad films worse and the better films better is the decision they took as to whether what they were telling was a literal story or not. And something I really liked about, so maybe this is, I'm just going to jump straight to talk about Halloween ends now because I know that Lawrence hated it. So I want to get his take on this. Absolutely hated it. Something I really liked about Halloween ends. Oh my gosh. Of course, Al. Of course, is, Al. Of course you like this is, movie. Why are we on this podcast together? I don't know why we are. I don't know how we're friends. You, we always disagree. We always disagree. Go ahead, Al. Go ahead. Tell Al. me why I'm wrong, because I'm interested to know why I'm wrong. Because it doesn't make any sense if you try and take it at face value. Mm -hmm. Halloween ends as a story. If Mike Myers is really like rolling around in the sewer with Corey or whatever his name is, the movie doesn't make any sense at all. But it really works if you're taking the idea of Mike Myers as a campfire tale as what the Halloween series is about. So I guess I want to know from the people who really love this film franchise, is that how you think we're supposed to take the last film? And do you have a preference as to how we should see what kind of stories are the Halloween movies trying to be? Are they trying to be campfire movies or are they trying to be like gritty, realistic slasher movies the new trilogy let me just lead up to that last film because i was let down by the last movie 
but I've been kind of quiet. I don't post my things online, like uh, my opinions on things, especially if they're kind of negative, because like I said, it's a miracle anytime a movie gets made. And I respect the passion that went into making the movie and how hard it is to make a movie. But that being said, I think that movie missed the mark. And I'll tell you, I'm mixed on these last three movies that have been recently made. What the first one was 2018, is that right? Mm -hmm. Halloween. When that movie came out, everybody was like raving about it. When I saw it, I was like, it's okay. There's some weird things in that that don't seem to make a lot of sense. Like the doctor, and this supports what you're just saying right now, Al, that's kind of spirit of Michael Myers with his doctor that decides to suddenly kill the cop. And then he puts the mask on for two seconds to drag the body with one arm that works into the cop car with the girl, then with one arm, put Michael Myers completely limp and and dead, you know, seemingly in the car with one arm. And then he takes his mask off again. Like, why'd you put it on in the first place? What is this? To me, it was so forced. And that's where I see a lot of horror today. And these movies are very much a product of today and what's going on in horror today, where I think good horror does have a message, but I don't think it's a forced message. I think it's one of those things that if you're writing and you're a good writer, a message kind of comes out in your writing. You don't have to force an agenda. You don't have to force some sort of a belief or some deep truth about humanity. It kind of just comes. And if you try to force it, then it becomes heavy-handed. And I see so much horror that is heavy-handed today. And I think that first movie had touches of that in it. And then by the last movie, it was just painting with a Jackson Pollocking, that kind of crap all over everything. It was so forced. The middle movie is actually my favorite out of the new trilogy. And I know a lot of people hate that because a lot of people love that first movie and didn't like the second one because of the whole evil dies tonight. And that (laughs) mantra, oh my God, it does get annoying. And that moment they go after the homeless guy or the mentally handicapped guy in the hospital. And, you know, first of all, I love all the actors in that movie, all of them, all the characters who came back and they play like the guy that plays older Lonnie. I can't remember his name right now, Broad Street. Anyway, he's in I know you're talking about, yeah. Haunting of Hill House and thing. I just love the actor. And of course, Anthony Michael Hall, you know, all these great actors and they're playing these parts. So it's neat to me, the nostalgia of that one. And the fact that we also got to go back in time in that movie mm-hmm. and see what happened after Myers disappeared on Halloween night. That made that movie so cool to me. I was like, yes, this is what I wanted in the first movie. And I think that movie was a better lead up than what the first movie was. So to me, if they could have combined those two, that would have been perfect. The Evil Dies Tonight thing got a little heavy handed and the end of it just became like, a oh, okay. They just really pushed it a little too hard. But I still think if they had more Laurie in that movie, that would have been a damn near perfect movie. The third movie to me, that last one, I really don't know what I wanted. I didn't think that I had high expectations for it because the others were like, yeah, they're okay. They're good. They're not great. I'm sitting there watching it. And as I'm watching it, I'm slowly realizing what they're trying to do. And my roommate and I are watching it. And I'm like, oh no, they're not doing that. Oh no, they're come on. They're not making it this. This is like something that you'd see in Halloween six. Like, don't do that. Come on. And then they do it and they do it in the sloppiest way imaginable. How does it make sense that that kid falls down into that little gutter area, Myers drags him into the tunnel, then he wakes up and Myers is behind some pillar and then reaches out at him? Like, didn't you just drag the kid in there? I don't understand it. Is it literal? Is it figurative? I don't know. That movie is so confusing to me. I need to go back and watch it again. But it also had these long moments of this weird forced love story where these two people fall in, the the daughter and that kid fall in love 
instantly at a bar. It's like, oh, mom, you brought this stray dog home. Ooh, I love him. And they're like Romeo and Juliet. It's ridiculous. It's just like, (laughs) I haven't seen anything like that since like cheesy 80s movies. And you just don't expect that kind of thing in a modern horror movie. So I just think it's a sloppy mess, honestly. I love the idea of it being like the town is infected by it and this this thing, like that concept that this evilness of Myers can be infectious or something. It's a cool concept. It wasn't done well. And they did this whole story and then smooshed it together with Lori at the end having their ending. I love the ending of the movie, honestly, with what happens with Myers. I'm trying to be vague, but what happens with Myers and what he happens dies. with- Come on, man. He dies. It's not just dies. It's like really dies. They, they it's like, like put dies him in a wood chipper. He's gone. <laughs> yeah. And I liked that. I liked that the whole town came together, but it was so quick and at the end that there was no real buildup between actual Myers and actual Lori. And that is why we all watched the movie. We didn't watch it for this whole other plot line. And it really didn't matter what happened as long as those two had their buildup and their denouement. But their story did not rise. It just stayed at this plateau. Myers was sidelined completely in this last movie and then just showed up at the end just to die. And that is a real switch and bait for fans. And I can't say I'm really even a fan of the franchise. I'm a fan of the first Halloween movie. And I like the idea of Michael Myers as a villain. But that movie was really hard, I think, for a lot of fans to swallow. Fans of the slasher where they're like, oh, I want all the kills. And fans like me that respect it on a different kind of a level. I think it really upset a lot of people in that way. Something really interesting is that everything that you just said that as a fan, you didn't like about the movie. As someone who is not a fan, I genuinely really liked. So here's yeah. a very, very quick, very, very quickly. Here's one thing in particular. So I actually didn't love the very last scene. I thought that was too over the top, even for a film that I was taking as extremely over the top. Yeah. But, you know, I, whatever. But in general, in the movie, one of the things I really, really loved about it was it seemed to me like this is a film. So something that I thought Halloween Kills didn't do as well that I think Halloween Ends did better is as a way of telling a story about a town in which Mike Myers is a threat and the power that he exerts over the place and the Mm -hmm. people in the place without even necessarily having to be there. What I thought was great about the way that Halloween ends treated Laurie is she has clearly by that point developed a, a lifelong obsession with him. She's just in the process of like healing, getting over it, what have you. I really like the fact that the movie shows how much of Laurie's mental anguish can exist and fester without Mike Myers even having to be anywhere near her. So what you said about the fact that for you, there wasn't enough interaction between Mike Myers and Laurie and Halloween ends. I thought that was actually a strength getting to see the spectrum Mike Myers can have on Laurie without even having to do anything directly to her. But I can totally see how if as a fan of the film uh, of the franchise, one of the things you really love is their history together. And you Mm -hmm. want to see that paid off. Then yeah, I can totally understand why that wouldn't work. Would anyone have wanted a scene as was suggested in the first of the new trilogy where she's like, okay, I've been obsessed with this guy. He's still in jail. I'm going to go visit him in the mental institution. And maybe he doesn't say anything or, but like, it seems like, okay, that would be a controlled environment. He's not going to kill her right there. Maybe he doesn't want, you know, did that make sense that that was completely unexplored, that there was merely suggested? I mean, that's exactly what I want. Okay, so let me say this. All right, so when it comes to the new trilogy, I did not like initially that they were like doing away with my favorite Halloween film, which is Halloween 2. I get it's a mean film. It's a mean-spirited film. It's high body count. That's one of the things that I enjoy about that film franchise. I was very 
reticent because I was worried about them exploring the Michael Myers and Laurie kind of relationship without that added thing. I ended up loving the first film. I agree with you, Nathan, that that whole thing with the doctor was really strange. I don't know what they were trying to do. It felt like they were trying to offer commentary, but it just, it felt right. flat. It was forced. Yeah. It seemed like an addition later on, like, oh, we should have him do that. Yeah, that's cool. Let's do it. And also the 2018 film is very strange because we have this scene with this kid and the kid is clearly, I don't know if he's gay or if he's just like interested in things that are different than what normal kids are interested But there's this scene with the kid and Michael Myers kills the kid. Like it's a hardcore film. And I really like David Gordon Green. I respect him as a filmmaker. Going all the way back to like George Washington. I love that film. I loved Your Highness. Uh, what other films did he make? I loved The Sitter. I remember that one. I love that one. I'm interested in him being interested in comedy and also being interested in horror and trying to like do something there. I like the comedic bits that were in the original Halloween, the 2018 Halloween film as well. I liked Halloween Kills. I liked the idea of the first film takes place on the same night as the second film. Yeah. And then, the, yeah, and then cool. you start off small and then it kind of spreads to the community and it affects community. And although the evil dies tonight stuff is cheesy, I really enjoyed that. I did too. It just went on a little. It did go on a little long, but here's what I thought was going to happen. I thought that the third film would be on the same night and be the conclusion of the story. Yep. It was supposed to be. That's what they were planning on doing. That's what I was expecting. And so when I heard that they were going to jump four, was that four years? Four years. They lost me. They lost the story too, honestly, because just look at Lori's narrative. Mm -hmm. Lori from 30 years ago, where, you know, from 78 has been traumatized. Michael's in prison. She's still so traumatized, believing that he's going to come back, right? Because of what happened to her when she's a kid. She traumatizes her daughter. She traumatizes her granddaughter. She isolates herself. She's got this, you know, home alone from hell house that she's prepared for Myers when he shows up. And cool. It all makes sense. We see the trauma. We see where she's been. But then in the second movie, we see exactly the continuation, the exact same character. At the end of the second movie, her daughter is murdered. Myers has disappeared, not in jail. He's just gone. He's just gone. He's gone. And in the third movie, Lori's like a completely different person. Why? Now he's more dangerous than ever. And they tried to explain it with her writing with saying, like, I've decided to let it go. And by the way, that is a terrible biography she's writing. That is an absolutely <laughs> terrible. Really is. It's like, really, like the, the phrasing yeah, that it's she's like, like Jack like, Handy. It yeah. is horrible. It's like that. Really no was. publisher is going to publish that book. I'm sorry. It's so bad. And so she's in there and she's writing this. The whole thing is just a badly written plot device to let us know that Jamie Lee Curtis didn't want to play that character, I guess. I don't know, but she, That's the feeling that I she's got no well. longer yeah. traumatized, even though her daughter's dead and Myers is in the wind. Like Myers could literally be hiding in her backyard and it's like she doesn't care. And the weird thing is, is I almost could buy that, that she's just really pushing herself to be happy, but it almost seemed, and again, I am a, an avid Jamie Lee Curtis fan. I love Jamie Lee Curtis in every damn thing she's ever done, even bad movies. I love her in them. But, in this movie, even even Terror Train, you thought she was even good in what Terror Train? Oh yeah, I like her in Terror Train. Are you kidding me? I don't like Terror Train, but she's good in it. Um, <laughs> but so you see her, and it makes sense. And in this movie, it's just such a jump. It's four years later. Myers is in the wind, so she's acting kind of all over the place a little bit. There's no continuity with the character. I completely agree. Yeah, that one it scene is. where the guy wakes up on the floor in the room, and she's like 
sitting back on a chair propped against the back wall and she's just like got a toothpick in her mouth or something and she's like listen here kiddo you're gonna have to step in line it's like, i heard a theory on. that that was she was not actually there during that scene that that was a uh, part of his madness <laughs> that's terrible L- listen <laughs> okay that's people trying to explain away the mediocrity of that last film that's the reason why i started by saying i like david gordon green i need someone to explain to me what happened with this third film because it feels as though there were too many outside influences, like telling them what to do. Maybe Jamie Lee Curtis. I get that she's probably tired of this franchise. It feels like she didn't want to be in a Halloween film. She chose to be in like this drama and then end in a Halloween film. Like I need someone to explain to me what happened with this film because this film was so amazingly, terribly bad that it could not have been because David Gordon Green is too good of a filmmaker. He knew this film wasn't good. He knew it was. And someone needs to explain to me how it got this bad. I don't think it's bad. I think it's sloppy. You know, and there's a difference to me there. I see it as some really great ideas that didn't quite gel into one film. It's almost like they had a really interesting concept and another really interesting concept and maybe even a third interesting concept. How do we make this work? Well, let's do a time jump. And then how do we make this work? They almost made it work, but it didn't gel. And I think they didn't set out to just placate the fans, which I do respect. You know, they didn't just make it a typical thing. I think that's respectful, even though I don't agree with what they did. Nathan, this is a Halloween movie that for (laughs) 75% of the movie doesn't feature Michael Myers. Well, it features a Michael Myers lookalike. I mean, but it's not a Michael Myers film for 75% of the film. That's why I said it's a bait and switch. It just fails completely because if you're going to do the whole thing, you know, Michael is going to affect somebody. There's a scene where the kid goes down in the tunnel. And Michael usually would kill that kid, but he looks at the kid and I guess he sees something in the kid. I've heard multiple things. I took it that he saw the killer inside of him. That's what I took it as. So Michael Myers is a clairvoyant. Is that what we're saying now? He's really plugged into the gossip around the town and he knows that the town has been, (laughs) has been treating him, has been treating him shabbily and that, you know, that they hold it against him for the accident that he underwent. And, you know, yeah. Well, and what has Myers been doing for four years? How is he alive? What is he eating? How is he so strong still? Like, what's going on? I have so many questions. That could have been fixed so easily with just little things like some disappearances have happened in town. People are blaming Myers that they're still thinking he's around or something. But there's none of that. It's like he's gone. He hasn't shown up at all. Then he just shows up out of nowhere, drags a kid into a sewer. Why? Nobody knows because he was planning on killing that kid for you know, that we assume because he grabs him. So I'm just confused as to why did he bring him in there to kill him and eat him? You know, and if so, why would he hide behind a concrete wall instead of doing it while the kids passed out? There's just so many questions. Nathan, what you're talking about is a bad film, sir. I'm sorry. What you're, what you're describing <laughs> is a bad film. That's what you're describing, sir. Touche. So what you're, what you're talking about with the reasons why it just seemed obvious to me, like Mike Myers in Halloween Ends is not really there. It's not a Mike Myers film. It's a story about the shadow. So you're saying he's completely metaphor in your interpretation. That's how that last film has to be read to me in order to make any sense. Or maybe it's just a bad film, Al. (laughs) But what's interesting about what you're saying to me is it does seem very clear after everything that you've said that there's at least a movie missing in the last three series. Because the things I really liked about Halloween Ends make it a good further reboot. If you like, if you want to take a step towards a more anthologized kind of story. Right. You want to tell, but you're absolutely right. You want to close off the arc in the Jamie Lee Curtis character in a much more satisfying way before you do your intergenerational trauma story to do the baton pass. 
I do think that the idea behind it, and some people are just completely like, oh, that's a terrible idea. It's not a terrible idea. I think it's a really interesting idea and that trauma creates trauma, creates trauma and all that. I really do. It's like an echo chamber of of evil. Okay, I love that idea that it could be metaphor, right? If that's the case, though, the movie makers didn't solidify that enough to make that make sense because at the end, you have both of them in the house and you kill the one and then you kill the other. And so if that's the case, you know, they pull the mask off, they pull the mask off of an actual person. So unless you're completely leaving reality and saying that the entire last half of the movie is metaphysical or a dreamlike or like some sort of a metaphor, that idea is so cool, but it doesn't stand up. Here's where I think there's a challenge then to the fans, because none of the movies that I've watched over the last week make sense if you're supposed to take it as a real story. Whoa, whoa. Not even the first one? I think it has to be very thickly layered with metaphor, if only for the fact that one of Michael Myers' defining and scariest characteristics is the fact that you can't kill the guy. The film franchise as a whole really seems to get into trouble when it starts trying to take seriously, there is a man in the real world you cannot kill. Well, Rasputin was hard to kill. Yeah, exactly. But he's a, Whoa, but he wasn't actually a historical mortal, right? cut. This is a, an urban legend. <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about Halloween anymore. We're talking about history. This is, that's Can I up. just second what Al is saying by pointing out something with this new franchise? You know, if you're going to erase you know, Halloween two through everything prior to 2018, then it really has not been a stain upon their community. It was like, and they point this right. out in the 2018 movie. It's just somebody that killed like a few people. 40 years ago like and why then it's happening again people exactly. would forget mm-hmm. that but they also talk about well was it his sister oh that's just a rumor that's floating around in other words the situation of there being this film franchise that is famous right. <laughs> has infected the telling of the story so that within the world that is presented it's like these legends so it wasn't just one incident it was people telling about the incident and elaborating and making up stuff, you know, what Star Wars Legends has become, you know, anything that's non-canonical is in the world being told about. I'm using this to amplify what you're saying, Al, in terms of when you're presenting one of these movies, you're not actually saying, look, I am giving you a fictionalized news story in which things are happening. No, you're spilling out a fantastical tale in which maybe things could even contradict each other and probably should start all, all these with a narrator holding a flashlight in front of their face and saying, let me tell you about this. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly what Loomis acts like. That kind of is what he is. I do completely grant, though, that that kind of generous attitude towards a film could potentially excuse a lot of sloppy filmmaking. Yeah. Which may be also <laughs> what was going on in some of the later movies. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And maybe even be more blatant about it. Be dreamlike. Make things yeah. actually make no sense. So yeah. that the audience like, oh, no, I'm in the Halloween world now. Right. Shit don't make no sense. And I Halloween am world. appalled by all the stuff that I'm <laughs> Let's hearing. Let's have a right David now. Lynch Halloween movie. Mark, you sent a, a link or somebody had uploaded a link from IGN, that one that was talking about the different timelines. Mm-hmm. If you're going to watch Halloween in different timelines. And there are five in that article. They talk about there being five different timelines. If you're going to watch them in like, you know, chronological order <laughs> with Halloween three being its own thing. Right. But then you have the one timeline that's like one, two, four, five, six, seven. Is that also in that timeline? And then you have the timeline. Oh, right. Because that's Halloween H2O, right? And then you have the timeline that is one, two, H2O. And then the god awful 
Halloween Resurrection. Halloween Resurrection. Shout out to Buster Rhymes, though. Shout out to him. He's, he's really good in that movie. You shout out to Buster Rhymes. I'm not <laughs> shouting out to him. He was terrible in that movie. <laughs> the guy can't, I mean, yeah, he says some great lines and he says them fairly well, but he's closing his eyes most of the time when he's talking, too. What do you say, Mark? What do you say? Trick or treat, motherfucker. <laughs> yes, sir! <laughs> <laughs> That is great. Can I say that's the only film that I did not see the whole thing in order. I watched a few YouTube things about it. There's a YouTube playlist that has various scenes from it. There was like a walkthrough video. So I feel like I got the whole thing. Maybe I saw it at the time, but I don't. I'm pretty sure I bet. I, I saw it. Terrible. I've seen over half of the actual material and I know all the story beats. I forgot Katie Sackoff was in it. I didn't honestly. Yeah. She's so great. I don't feel like I missed anything. Sean Patrick Thomas is in there. Like there's some pretty good actors in there and it is a bad movie. They tie it to the rest of the movies only because at the beginning, Jamie Lee's in it because she said, I'll do it if you kill me off finally. Cause I'm done. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so they had the whole first part of it. That's an enjoyable five minutes of filmmaking. It's okay. Yeah, right. The mask looks good in that one compared to the one. Well, actually, I didn't mind the mask as much. They had like five different masks that they used, including a CGI one in uh, H2O. But the mask before that, I think it's Curse, where it's just awful. We didn't go deep into like the mask because like the mask is a whole thing as well. It's a, it's a William Shatner mask that's like painted white. It's a really interesting story. And then, but then they, they tried to sculpt a Michael Myers mask. Yeah. That, yeah. And so they always go wrong when they do that. But the new mask for the new trilogy, I thought was really cool. And they did a good job. How come when Corey puts it on, he's not like, oh, man, this smells so bad. It's got to be, it's gotta be <laughs> funky. So it's bad. like, how does he take it off? It's been fused with his skin because he's burned. <laughs> like, I don't get how he, how he even removes that. And everybody just takes it off and it still holds up. But, you know, like a latex mask that's been burned would just be like just fall apart, brittle. Yeah, yeah no way. <laughs> but yeah, there's like you said, it's not meant to be realistic. And there's a certain sense of uh, the suspension of disbelief that you have to do with those movies. It's just that last one to me, in order to grasp that concept, it's just such a massive leap from the reality of what they've set up. You know, if the rules are there and the rules are this is a fantasy world fine like in the the nightmare on elm street movies you know it's like you never know if you're in a dream world or not even freddy versus jason which i i love that movie but then when you go to this and it's like you know you seemingly set up the rules and then you kind of break them at the end because i do like the idea of it being metaphor i just if that's the case i think they should have given us something to at least pose that question better than just having such a bad plot that you have to go well it's a metaphor that's one of the only ways to explain it and have it make sense. But even then it doesn't because at the end they are grinding up a body and it is not the same kid. It is an adult man that is Michael Myers. He's the old guy that's been burned and doesn't have an eye and has part of his hand shot off. So it's that person. So we should, you know, maybe have one more go around and wrap this up in terms of the main show. We could keep doing after talk if you want to geek out a little more, but I guess I haven't gotten a chance to say I actually enjoyed the last movie. I felt like things that I was hearing comparing it Halloween yes. you enjoyed it yeah I think as its own thing like if it wasn't Halloween branded if it was just you know it's more of a remake of John Carpenter's Christine and if you're talking about in terms of a next generation or whatever like there are definitely have been way worse versions of that whereas Halloween Kills I also mostly enjoyed but kind of was rolling my eyes at too many things I felt like that at least this last one, let's set up some teenagers to butcher on the way to the actual plot. Like, yes, he does kill some teenagers, but it is part of his own growth thing. And, you know, not just a retread of the same 
when it just came down to it, I thought that I had never seen Halloween 2, the original 1981 film, before this last time. When I was watching it, like enough of it seemed familiar that I'm pretty sure I saw it at some point, but it was so forgettable, I guess, or blended in with, and I was... You, you're killing me, man. You're I had me. built it up over over years as like, oh, this is the one that actually really continues Halloween 1. It's the rest of the main story, and I don't even know the main story because I've never seen this film. And I didn't realize like that it was, you know, a few years later with such a different approach to filmmaking and Friday, you know, I didn't realize this difference. And so I tried to watch just because I don't have this nostalgia about Halloween two, three, four, five, six. I don't actually find it a enjoyable experience. Whereas watching H2O, whereas watching any of these last three films, like Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they're great films, but like they were interesting enough to me. I agree with you. I think that those middle, you know, four, five, six were all kind of challenging to get through. Well, not H2O, but Curse of Mike, up through Curse of Michael, the, and then the other one, the after H2O. Those were hard for me to watch too, because I didn't grow up with those. I didn't, I stopped watching the Halloween movies. My dad was one of those people who's like, the first Halloween movie's great. I think him and my mom went on a date to go see it when it came out. That's your origin story then. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I watch that movie a lot. I really enjoy it, and I find it scary, and it's nostalgic to me. But then when you go to the others, my dad was like, "Ah, eh, they're not that great. They're just typical slasher movies. And I didn't grow up with Jason and Freddy in those. I just didn't watch those. I was watching classic horror movies and stuff. So I didn't get into it. So they don't have the nostalgia to me either. Whereas I respect the Michael Myers, I respect the fans and all of that. It's I don't have that love loss there, but I have a problem with any movie. I love the horror genre and I have a problem with any movie that just falls flat of what they're trying to attain. If you're going to be a B-movie, and you're going to be cheesy and schlocky or whatever, go all out on that. Don't try to be something that's better than that. This last movie tried to do too many things and didn't pull them off, didn't pull any of them off well enough. As the great poet Nathan Shelton says, <laughs> if you're going to be a B-movie, then be a B-movie. And that's the reason why I deeply enjoy Halloween 4. That's the reason why I deeply enjoy Halloween 5, because those movies know exactly what the fuck they are. They know that they're B-movies. They know that they're kind of straight to DVD. Other wasn't DVD then. Same thing with Friday the 13th, number one. Friday the 13th, number one is really, really good. I really would argue that Friday the 13th, two and three are pretty good as well. It gets down, goes downhill from there. I grew up with those movies, but I also grew up with the highbrow horror films. And so I'm a mixture of all of that stuff. I'm a mixture of the Changeling. I'm a mixture of, you know, Nosferatu. I'm a mixture of the universal horror, you know, monster movies, as well as the schlocky 80 slasher movies, you know, the New Year's Evil, that kind of stuff. Right? I'm, I'm a mixture of all that, like Sleepaway Camp. I'm a mixture of all that stuff. Right. And so I deeply, deeply love Halloween 2. I respect Halloween 1. I love Halloween 3, love 4, love 5, do not like 6. I love these movies. And I've I, grown to like 3 quite a bit. I used to hate it. I was like, what is this? If you, it's if terrible. you allow the movie to be like a sci-fi horror adjacent movie. It, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of chips from Stonehenge. But it you is know, but good though, man. It's got Tom Atkinson in it. It's so good. I just rewatched this last night. I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to fit this in, but it has enough of the feel. It does. Of the first ones of these, it's these like robot killers where you feel like in the same, like, oh, it's late night in a gas station and someone could burst in and kill me. That it retains that, even though the plot is totally different. Explaining of horror movies always fails, falls down. Like, I recently watched Smile with my son. I would not advise you to take your son to watch Smile. But I recently watched Smile with my son. 
And like it's it's great atmosphere, it's great jump scares, it's great horror. When they begin to explain what's going on and like visualize it, all horror movies fall down. Like most of them do not really land it very well. Hellraiser is a movie that's a like great atmosphere, but doesn't land it very well when it comes like the visuals and explaining everything. I'm fine with the movie not explaining everything well, but what Halloween three does really, really well is it sets the atmosphere, it gives you that dread, that memorable song that they're singing, you know, Halloween, Halloween. Like it does it really, really well. And so I loved it. I love all these movies. I don't love Resurrection. I love the first I two. I think it's arguably the worst out of... Uh, I that's, completely that's agree. Not, that's uncontroversial. I completely <laughs> agree. Although, Buster Rhymes, Mark, what does he say? I'm not repeating it a third time. Trick or treat, motherfucker. That's what he says. <laughs> that's what he says. Anyway. And he means it. He does. And he says it from the bottom of his soul. I'm perfectly comfortable with them rebooting things and, and reimagining things. I just wish that when they decide to like do something different, at least make it make sense, at least make it fall within the mythology that they've created. And I really wish that with this last Halloween film had been just a continuation of the first two and then like bringing it to a close. And so while I admit that I am accepting inferior art, I know that I am. I'm perfectly comfortable with it. But as long as they're consistent, as long as they're like playing within their world in a way that makes sense, I'm perfectly fine with them doing that. But I just don't like it when they try to like introduce things and Michael Myers sees himself in this kid somehow and doesn't really make sense. And yet it's still by the end of the film, they give us what we want. That film was all over the place, but I would still ride for Halloween films really from the beginning. I honestly think that just to really bring it home and that from everything we're all saying here, and I think that it echoes out throughout all the moviegoers in general, fans of horror or non, I think that horror in, in particular, you know, speculative fiction, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, it's one of those things that what you like and what you don't like, it's so subjective for so many different reasons for all of us. And that I'm hearing the reason that I like certain of these films is it's tied to my nostalgia. Same thing with you, Lawrence, that, you know, it's tied to your nostalgia. And then people that don't have that nostalgia, you guys are, are enjoying these based on entirely other things that you were able to pull from the movies. And what you're allowing yourself to have that suspension of disbelief that has to be there to get into any kind of speculative fiction genre, to get anything out of it, to be immersed in the story, to not just sit there the whole time going, well, that wouldn't happen. You know, we all have that different give and take depending on how it has affected us throughout our lives. And so there is no way to say this movie's good, this movie's bad, you know, with any of these, I think, uh, because it's good and bad depending on the eye of the beholder. And that is due to a whole bunch of different things that have made us each unique with what we're coming to the genre with. So it's not just the movie coming to us, it's what we come to the movie with. I think that's what makes them so special and endearing is that different people love them at, or hate them for different reasons. And um, that's they'll always be special because of that. And even though they say that this is the end, you know that Michael Myers in some form or another is going to come back here in you know five to ten years when they're needing another cash cow and they're going to wheel Jamie or, Lee Or in. Michael Myers' ghost. <laughs> I really don't think Jamie Lee Curtis will come back. I think she's done. I, really no, no, I, I think, think she's done too. But she said she was done when she did H2O. They backed up a, like a truck full of money to her house, and that's the reason why she probably jumped into you know. Was in the <laughs> right. Speaking of done, Al, take us home. Give us your last word. It's been a real journey watching all of these movies for the first time, <laughs> and I think they are a real object lesson in how weird it can be when nobody involved in making a film franchise seems to completely agree on the kind of movies that they want to make. 
I think that is very well said, Al. <laughs> very well said, sir. All right. Well, thanks to all of you. Thanks, Nathan, for coming back for the special Absolutely. appearance. Thanks, yeah, Nathan. Great to talk to you. We'll have you back soon, man. Yeah, please. Thanks, listeners. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.